there. You're listening to The Business of Baking with Michelle Green. And today I wanted to talk about something which is very dear to my heart and which I feel hugely emotional about. So I might just cry a little bit in this episode. And it's all about the connection between business and weight. I think there is a connection and I really want to share with you the the things I've learned while growing my business bigger and shrinking my body smaller. Thanks for joining me today. I think this is going to be a big one for us. So let's just jump right in. You're listening to the Business of Baking podcast with Michelle Green, the small business podcast that's all about successfully running your own sweet food company without losing your mind. If you've ever brought dessert to a party and been told you can make a fortune selling those, then you're in the right place. This is an honest, straight-talking podcast about the highs and lows of being in small business. Fueled by late nights, crazy client stories, and a permanent sugar high, we're going to listen, share, and learn our way to sweet business success. Here's your host, writer, speaker, recovering cake decorator, and incurable sweet tooth, Michelle Green. So I've made no secret about the fact that in the past, uh, I think it's seven years now, actually no, eight, past eight years now, I actually lost a enormous amount of weight. I've lost about 70 kilos. For those of you who do this kind of stuff in, in pounds, that's about a hundred and it's about 154 pounds. It took me about two and a half years to lose that weight. And then I've maintained it mostly in the time since then. There's been a little bit of variation, but in the main, I've maintained it. And I've never made a secret about that. I, in fact, talk about it a lot. And anybody who's followed the blog for a while knows that I also talk about how much I love cookies and I love Oreos and chocolate and whatever. I'm not a huge cake fan, but I like all those other things. And it's not unusual in the course of my live classes for people to bring me gifts of treats and stuff. And I always enjoy them. And I, you know, I'm a chef and a pastry chef. I'm a real foodie. So it's been a struggle my whole life. I was a chubby kid and then, and then an obese teenager and then, and then a very obese adult and on and on. And I've not really spoken about the method I used to lose weight because I guess I feel like some things a girl's got to keep private. Uh, but also because I guess that's not really the point I want to make by sharing uh, my story about weight loss and my, my experience with it. The point I really want to make is just that you know, it's hard. It's really hard. And I meet an extraordinary amount of bakers and decorators who struggle with the same thing. I don't know if that's because bakers and decorators are always um, baking and decorating. And that that's why we tend to be uh, a bit bigger or I don't really know. I met plenty of skinny ones too. And over the years, um, I've really struggled with my weight. I lost over a hundred pounds on Weight Watchers twice and then gained it back. Uh, but this, this last lot of weight loss I have maintained for all this time. And it's been a really interesting experience. The motivation for me doing it was actually Actually, my father passing away. He passed away of a mass heart attack when he was 63. And literally the very last conversation we had on the phone, the very last thing he asked me to do was to take some fairly dramatic action towards my weight loss. Both my parents were overweight their whole lives. So yeah, I've got the, the rocking genetics, let me tell you. My my siblings are also overweight. Like we're just a family of big people. We're also literally big as in I'm six feet tall. My dad was six one. We're all, we're all kind of big people. So that was my dad's last thing he asked me to do. And, you know, I've never been one to be very good at listening to my parents. Honestly, I tend to rebel against authority, but I guess... I don't know. I think it was a really big wake up call. I'd started to take some action anyway, but then he asked me to do this and then I lost him. And I think that really 
drove the message home for me that I, I wanted to be there for my kids. I didn't want to do the same thing to my kids that my dad did to me. And so that was the big impetus for me losing all the weight and carrying on. And I would love to lie to you and say like, oh, it's really easy. And I love quinoa and kale now. And, you know, I'm just like super mega perfect all the time. But that is just total rubbish. It's not the case at all. I am as imperfect as they come. And my biggest struggle is actually with emotional eating. And it's not like a case of, oh, when I'm sad, I eat. It's like when a case of I feel anything I eat. So I'm like, oh, I'm sad. I'll just eat something. Oh, I'm bored. I'll just eat something. Oh, I'm tired. I'll just eat something. It's like food is literally my happy place. And one of the things I really struggled with is the fact that I just like the act of eating. I like actually like sitting down. I like preparing food. I like making food. Actual eating appeals to me. I know plenty of people that it doesn't. Plenty of people who are like, yeah, food is just fuel, whatever. I've never been like that. My my secret wife, she doesn't actually know that she's my wife. My, my secret wife is Nigella Lawson because I love listening to, to the way she talks about food and the way she writes about food and just watching the way she prepares it with such love and emotion. I have a real emotional connection to it. And so that's why I enjoy watching her. So to be very blunt with you, I'm not sure that I could do the job that I do today if I still weighed what I weighed back then. You know, I probably could, but I'm not sure that I could do it as willingly as I do it now. You know, when I I was at my heaviest, I, I ran my business and I was chefing and basically chefing in the whole nine yards, but I certainly was not giving classes and conducting talks and traveling and I wasn't doing the stuff that I do now. And while I would no way say that losing the weight made it possible for me to do those things, because I believe I would have done them anyway, I think it certainly made them easier because being visible is a lot easier for me now. So I thought in today's episode, I actually wanted to talk about a couple of the lessons I've learned through the course of, of losing the weight and building my business at the same time. And I know maybe some people are like, Michelle, how is that even connected? But I think it is connected. I think it is connected because small business is about the people behind the business. It's about how we feel about things, how we conduct ourselves, how we feel about money. It's about so many different things on a personal level, particularly for us cake makers. You know, the actual products that we make are, are really personal. We're involved in people's lives. We're talking to them. We're loving them. We put a little bit of our soul into every order. And I think just generally small business is personal, but also what we do being a product that we make with our hands, I think it's even more personal. And I think that weight and weight loss and, and fitness and all those things are also hugely personal and they are tied up with so many other things, how we feel about ourselves, how we think others view us. You know, I think that you can't really separate those things. So I wanted to talk about how for me, I've discovered that those things are connected and, you know, hopefully this resonates with some of you. I know that people have have come to me during class and sent me emails and whatever and told me about their own struggles. And I guess I also just want to say before I carry on that wherever you are in your experience with business or with weight loss, you know what? It's a process. You're, you are where you are and you're getting somewhere else and maybe you're going in the wrong direction, but the fact is that you're moving. And I think that we need to really applaud that, that we're moving forward and that we're taking action. By no means am I saying that's necessarily enough action. I'm just saying that we should be proud of ourselves for doing anything at all. In fact, probably for some of you, even listening to this podcast all about weight and business is going to be rough. You know, I'm going to be pretty honest. And so I just applaud that. I applaud that you're making the efforts. On that note, let's just jump in. The first thing I wanted to say is that we have this great belief that 
there's like a magic bullet or a perfect solution or something, something that will happen one, like it's sort of like once we do A, then B will happen. And so with weight loss, it's this thing where we're like, you know, once I lose all the weight, then I'm totally going to meet the most amazing guy or girl. Once I lose all the weight, then I am totally going to like get a new job and I'm going to whatever. Once I lose weight, then I will go to the beach every day. Once I lose the weight, I will this. And we have this very linear thing of once X happens, then Y happens. And this is so, 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 so true for weight that we end up not living our lives to the full because we let the weight be the reason we don't do things. I love the beach, but I never go because I'm overweight. And until I, you know, once I lose the weight, this will happen. And we have this bizarre thing that we're like, once X happens, then Y will happen. And the same is true in other aspects of our lives, right? We, we go on vacation and we think that going on vacation is going to solve all our issues with burnout. And we think it's going to save our marriage or we think it's going to whatever. And then we come back from vacation and we have this, oh, Oh my God, I just got back from vacation and my life hasn't changed any. Like the laundry is still piled up and the, I don't know, there's still, the bills are still there or whatever. And the vacation wasn't the magic bullet. It didn't fix the problem. Business is the same thing. As soon as I get that big order, then I'll have it made. As soon as my cake goes viral, as soon as I do a celebrity cake, as soon, if only I had $10,000 in my business today, that would mean I could do all these other things. And guess I'm here to tell you that you know what? The problems don't disappear. Maybe they're eased a little bit, but when you lose the weight, the problems don't disappear. I seriously thought that that whole emotional eating thing, I was like, you know, once I'm healthier and I'm I'm fitter and I'm this and I'm that, then I won't have this issue. It's rubbish. I completely have that issue. In fact, sometimes I think I even have it worse now than I did before, you know? Where we go, you know, as soon as I lose the weight, then I'm going to feel so much better about myself and I'm going to be so confident, whatever. Yeah, there are parts of me which are a little bit more confident. You know, I'm I'm more confident to stand in front of people these days than I used to be. But not any more, well, not any less nervous before I talk to people. I don't feel any smarter or whatever. I don't even feel any more beautiful. I do feel healthier for sure. And I feel fitter and stronger. But in many ways, that fitness and that strength is mental, not physical. It is true that I am, I am fitter and stronger than I've ever been, but it's, I feel stronger mentally. But I don't, I guess it just, losing weight didn't fix everything the way I thought it would fix everything. You know, I had this real thing about that, like, oh, once I lose the weight, then I'm going to do whatever. And I didn't do whatever. And so I guess I just want to tell you that you don't need to wait. You don't need to wait until you've lost the weight. You don't need to go on vacation and things that everything's going to be fixed. You just kind of have to keep living your life. And there is so much about my life I did not do because I was overweight. I was afraid of what other people would think. I was afraid I couldn't do it. I just had all these fears around doing stuff. I just didn't do stuff. And I said no to stuff all the time. Not just physical things, by the way. I said no to all kinds of things. And I have to tell you just about that saying no to physical things. So I was... I was obese and I I hate that word, by the way. And just saying that word kind of makes me want to cry. So I was obese. And so one of the things about being obese, which anybody who is would know that there are physical limitations. For me, it was not so much like walking and stuff. It wasn't like that. It was, I would go to an event or whatever, and the chairs would have arms on them. And I would be like madly looking around for a chair with no arms. And many is the time. I broke loads of chairs. I broke arms off chairs. I actually just broke chairs. And 
I would, I would walk into an event and I would just feel so conspicuous and I would just want the walls to like swallow me up, you know? So my physical thing for me was never about like being able to walk or whatever. It was more about the details. I think other normal sized people don't really notice. It's the chairs. It's the small doorways, getting into cars with other people and having to squish in the back or whatever it was, that kind of stuff. It was being invited to go whitewater rafting or something and worrying that it wouldn't have a life jacket to fit me and that I'd get all the way to the event and then be stuck like sitting on the, the banks of the river or whatever because they didn't have a life jacket. So for me, it was always the physical part of it. It was always in the details. But I very soon learned that by saying no to everything all the time, I just wasn't living a life. And aren't we here to do the living, not the suffering? And I realized how much suffering was happening for me because of that whole weight thing. But weight loss certainly didn't fix any of that. I lost all this weight and now life jackets probably fit me, but have I gone whitewater rafting? No. <laughs> well, firstly, I'm not into that outdoor sport thing, but really it's just, it didn't solve the problem. It didn't solve the doubt and the worry. And so we stopped living our lives because we think once this happens, then that will happen. But you know, it doesn't work that way. I don't know if you guys have ever read those articles about people who win the lottery and like, you know, we all wish we're going to win the lottery, like wishing, hoping, wishing, hoping, wishing, hoping, whatever. We buy the lottery ticket and then we win. And it actually ends up destroying people's lives. Like people get all this money and it just ruins their whole lives because they don't know how to handle it because they've, they haven't got any rules around it because they didn't get good financial advice, whatever. And I think it's because they wished and hoped for this magic bullet of the money, but having the money didn't solve the underlying problem. It just didn't, didn't fix it. So I think that the key there is to work on the weight loss or making more money or whatever, going on vacation or whatever, but also accept that that doesn't mean that you have this giant eraser and everything gets erased. So for me with business, there was a lot of that. There was a lot of, uh, once I have a gajillion dollars, this will happen. And once I hire a decent employee, that'll happen. And once I do the other, this will happen. And the magic bullet never came. It was just a matter of constantly plugging away day after day after day after day. And so I think that's important to remember that if you're sitting around in your life and going, oh, once I lose the weight, then everything will be magical. Or once I lose the weight, I'll meet the amazing guy or whatever. Oh, please start living your life and don't stop living your life the way you're doing now. I think that my father's death taught me so many things, uh, not just obviously about weight loss and choosing my health and my and my fitness, but it also taught me about living life because life is for the living. And I very much, that that's my guiding principle in my whole life these days, actually, is just saying yes to pretty much everything and just doing everything because I feel so strongly that we have one shot at living, one. And every day that goes by that we're not trying to do stuff is another day that we're basically wasted. You know, I don't have perfect days all the time. I wouldn't say that I'm on fire like every single day or anything, but in the main, I try to live each day and just try new stuff. From a business point of view, people comment on that all the time. I get a lot of feedback from people. They're like, Michelle, how do you do all this stuff? Like, how do you manage a blog and a podcast and live classes and digital classes? And oh my God, you're all over the place. You're amazing. You must be superwoman. And the truth is I'm not superwoman. I'm just somebody who believes that every day I've got to keep trying. And some of the stuff I try is going to be mass success. And some of the stuff I'm going to try is going to be mass failure. And some of it is going to be in the middle, but I'll never, ever stop trying. I'll never, ever stop just showing up. You know, I learned so much from my dad's death that there is no magic bullet. It is not a matter of lose the weight and the magic happens. It's not a matter of go on vacation and suddenly you have no problems. It's not a matter of have a baby and that saves your marriage. 
I don't believe in when X happens, Y will happen. It's just not how I live my life. I should tell you, by the way, that my way of dealing with the vacation thing is I hate coming home from vacation or even traveling for work. I hate it. Not because I don't love my home and my children because I do, but I hate that feeling of like, oh, I got home and nobody gives two wits about my stories. Nobody wants to see my photos and uh, I have to go back to life. And like I walk in the door and the laundry's still there and dinner still needs to be cooked. So I've instituted a rule in my household and for my life, which is that vacation doesn't end until midnight of the day you come home. So if you come home from like a flight or whatever, and your flight gets in on new- at noon, technically you are still on vacation until midnight. And no work of the laundry or whatever variety happens until the next day. So feel free to steal that one for yourself. But I have this rule that vacation lasts until midnight of the day you come home. <laughs> you feel free to steal that one. That's 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 like a major thing in my life. I don't make anybody unpack unless they want to. I don't make anybody cook dinner unless they want to. I don't do that stuff myself unless I want to. Vacation lasts until midnight of the day you come home. So the second lesson I've learned about business as it relates to weight is around visibility. So I meet so many people who refuse to put uh, a photo of themselves on their about me page on their website. Now I, from a business point of view, I think this is essential. I think everybody wants to know the person behind the business. You know, the truth is we have a pretty crowded industry and what sets us apart is often who we are as individuals, but we forget that. And we think that, Oh, I feel fat in this picture. Oh my God, I don't look good. Oh my God, my hair, you know, whatever your thing is. I meet so many people who would rather hide behind the cake. We work in an industry where that is not actually possible because you have to meet those people when they place the order. I mean, not always, but usually at some point you're going to meet them. You have to meet people when you are delivering cake. You have to meet people when you go to suppliers and buy stuff or order stuff or you're wandering through Michael's or Joanne's or whatever it was. And I meet a lot of people who say to me, I can't put a picture of myself on my website. I look terrible. What I want to say to that one is, you know what? People think that other people talk about them more than they do. We believe we live in a world that is full of judgment. And on some level, yeah, we do. But what we also don't realize is that we live in a world in which human beings are inherently pretty selfish and pretty self-absorbed. So when they look at a website and they see a picture of a woman in a chef coat or in a cute apron or whatever, they just notice the photo and move on because they're not there to sit and look at that photo and pick you apart and be like, oh my God, her hair is so fluffy and oh my God, she is so fat and whatever. They don't do that. They look at the website. They look at the about page because they need something. They need a cake. They need cupcakes. They need whatever it is they need. They look at the photo of you. They probably relate to you. Oh, she's a mom like me. Oh, she's cute and chubby like me, whatever. And they move on. They don't sit there and pick it apart. It does not inform their choices about whether they buy from you or don't buy from you. Literally, I've never had anybody say, Michelle, I did not buy from you because you were a size 14 or whatever. (laughs) That does not happen. In fact, it goes the other way. When they can relate to us, it actually makes them buy more. So I didn't have an about page for a really long time. And eventually I hired a business coach who was like, can you cut that ridiculousness out and just have an about page? So I did. And I put a photo up of uh, me and my husband and, and children. And I talked about the fact that my children were the motivation behind the name of my business. And they were the motivation behind my being in business in the first place. I wanted to create a life for them that I couldn't with just a job. And so 
I put a little bit about my family on there. Do you know how many orders I got because I was the triplet mom? Oh my God. I, you know what? I swear it was one of those things. It was like, if I had a dollar for every time I was like, oh, you're the triplet mom. It made a big deal because people love to read about a mother in business doing it for her kids and about her kids. And that made me instantly relatable. Nobody ever went, oh, you're that fat chick. And it, it, it just didn't happen. So they noticed and they commented and they gave me business based on the things they themselves could relate to. And, you know, we've all heard the expression, don't trust a skinny chef, right? I think that's probably true for cake makers as well. And I mean, no offense to any cake makers listening to this who are uh, slender. But it was just that thing that we are afraid to be seen because we are afraid of judgment. But honestly, that judgment nearly never comes. And if that person is judging us, they're doing it in their own head. They're not walking into your store going, you know what? That pink apron does not do much for your complexion. They're just not doing it. I've got a girlfriend who runs a small home-based business. She runs a jewelry business. And I've said to her, this we've had the same conversation like 10 million times. I'm like, you need to actually put a photo of yourself on your website. You need to take a selfie and put it on Instagram. People want to see the person behind the product. We want a personal connection. We live in the digital age where it's so easy to scroll on by and it's so easy to go, oh, pretty cake, oh, pretty jewelry, oh, whatever. And we don't make any personal connection. And I actually think we're starved for personal connection. Anyway, she refuses to do this. <laughs> I even tried doing that thing where I'm like, do you know who I am? I'm an expert in small business. It didn't work, by the way. I normally, I don't go all ego on people normally, but in this case, <laughs> she was bugging me about so much that I'm like, all right, I got to try. And it didn't work, by the way. So anyway, so I said to her, I think people want to see you. Now she is a suburban mom of three kids she actually dresses super cool. She wears her own jewelry. She's really funky and super fun. She's actually kind of like who I want to be when I grow up from a fashion point of view. She's honestly really cool and fun. And I said to her, I don't understand. Like, why are you not showing yourself off in your, in your Instagram or in your Facebook or social media or whatever? And she's like, because people don't want to know the reality that I'm just a frumpy, like, suburban mom. A, you are not frumpy, and B, has it ever occurred to you that the people buying from you are just like you, and if they can see someone like you rocking this funky statement piece or these cool earrings or this awesome bracelet, maybe that gives them the permission to go, hey, if this chick can rock it and she's a suburban mom, maybe I can too. Unfortunately, she doesn't believe me on this fact. I think in her head, she's built this picture that all the people who buy from her I guess because it's jewelry, must be funky, cool, whatever, young, hip people. Now, that is not the case. I've seen her clientele because they come to her house and they buy stuff. I'm her clientele. I've bought plenty of stuff from her over the years. And the truth is, I don't want to buy jewelry from somebody who's young and hip and cool and like a size zero and on Instagram and has like cheek implants. I'm not interested. I actually want to, I'm more inclined to buy things from somebody that I go, oh, she's like me and she's rocking this look. I can totally do that. I think it's time to stop thinking of yourself as needing to hide because you don't want people to know the truth and instead look at it as an opportunity to relate to the people who are going to buy from you. The vast majority of women I meet in this industry, their target market is people not dissimilar to themselves. Also moms, also people who are time poor, also people who value beautiful cake and are happy to spend money. They're not actually dissimilar. If you look around at the 10 cake makers you personally know in your area, I guarantee you guys have a bunch of stuff in common. And so 
don't use your weight or your appearance or your fluffy hair or whatever it is you've got going on that you're not happy with. Don't use it as a reason to be invisible in your business. Use it as a reason to be visible and to connect with the people who actually will buy from you because I think you'll find they'd rather relate to you than not. We don't just want to look at pretty pictures all day. We want to see the face behind those pictures. The third way that business uh, relates to weight is that there is actually a book and I should look this up. I've not read it, but I've, I've kind of read synopsis of it and stuff. I think it's called flipping the switch or flip the switch. I'll actually in the show notes for this podcast, I'll put the title and the author. But anyway, the concept is that mentally until you flip the switch where you make that decision to invest in your health and lose the weight and exercise and whatever, you will never succeed. So the idea is that we kind of go along in life and until we in ourselves have made that decision, then it's just never going to happen. And I am a perfect example of this, which is why I really believe in this concept and I really should read this book. My whole life, people told me that I was overweight, which I love that. Why do people tell overweight people they're overweight? As if we don't know. I mean, you don't go up to somebody in a wheelchair and be like, hey man, do you know you're in a wheelchair? Like, it's just ridiculous. But anyhow, <laughs> really, you don't do that, right? You don't tell people, did you know you're missing an arm? Like, it just does not happen. But anyway, people feel the need to tell overweight people they're overweight. So my whole life, people used to tell me that I was overweight. Or, you know, my favorite, my mom used to say stuff like, you'd be so beautiful if only you lost 10 pounds or 100 pounds or whatever it was. And I'm like, great, are you telling me that I'm ugly now? Thanks so much. That's great. Or, you know, that would look so good if only your face was a bit thinner or whatever the story was. So people used to say stupid, mean stuff to me all the time as if I did not already know. My mom, I remember my mom and my dad actually, both my parents having like impassioned appeals to me to lose weight. They're like, you know, Michelle and Ka, we're just like super worried about you and we're worried about your health and it's not good for you and whatever. And I should say here, by the way, my parents' uh, first language is not English. And so they used to say some very funny expressions and phrases. So my mom, <laughs> this is hilarious. I haven't thought about this in a while. My mom used to call being overweight or, or whatever, the overweight, like as though it was like some entity in and of itself, it was always the overweight, like capital T, capital O, you know? So she'd be like, Michelinka, you know, the overweight, it's not good for you. It's not good for your health, whatever, on and on and on. You don't want to end up like me, this kind of stuff. And bizarrely, the more people commented on my weight and the more people said stupid things like, should you be eating that? Or my favorite was my, when my father would like stare me down at the table. I'd be eating something. He'd be looking at me and he'd like raise an eyebrow. I'd love that. And I say that so sarcastically. I so did not love that. So anyway, I used to hate when people made all those comments, but here's what I found really interesting, that the more people commented on that stuff, the less inclined I was to do anything about it. In fact, if anything, it made me eat more just to be like, screw you kind of thing. I'm not even joking that my dad would like give me that raised eyebrow across the table and I would like deliberately shovel more into my mouth because I was just so angry that he felt the need to point it out that way, you know, or my mom would be like, you know, you'd look so beautiful if only you lost 20 pounds or whatever. And it just made me angrier and I'd eat more. In fact, I'd get upset and I'd get my feelings hurt and then I'd go and eat because I eat my feelings all the time. And I have to say that in all my life, I tried all kinds of crazy weight loss things, right? So I tried Weight Watchers a bunch of times, which by the way, I still actually recommend that. I think it's a great program. And these days I think it's even better than it used to be because they focus a lot on the emotional side. I did Jenny Craig. I did, my parents sent me, oh my God, this, I can't believe I'm saying this out loud, but my parents sent me to fat camp 
twice over the summer, once in uh, La Jolla, California, and once in Montpellier, Vermont, literally shipped me off to fat camp for the summer twice because the first time didn't work. So we had to do it again. Oh, what else have I done? Oh my God. I've done like diet shakes, slim fast or whatever. What else have I done? I've done like a bunch of stuff over the, you know, we all have from like three days eating cabbage soup or whatever it is. Actually, okay, hilarious story about Jenny Craig. So my sister and I decided, oh my God, I wanted to stop and cry slash laugh because this is ridiculous. My sister and I did Jenny Craig together. And so I don't know if any of you are familiar with Jenny Craig. Basically, they provide like the food and then you obviously eat what they tell you to eat or whatever. They eat the food and you buy the food in advance and whatever. But obviously, this is before the days where they would just hand you one muffin. So I remember that they had these bran muffins. Hilarious. It was like a package of bran muffins or whatever. And I think the package made six, but obviously you were only meant to eat one what the heck you were meant to do with all the other ones but anyway on the program it was like you know morning snack or whatever was this bran muffin and a glass of milk or whatever it was and so my sister and i baked these bran muffins or whatever and like we ate one and we're like and of course they're tiny right we ate one and we're like hey wow for like packet muffins this is pretty good oh my god this is like totally good and of course then we're like wow i should have another one because that's like so yummy and we ended up just like eating all the freaking bran muffins and thus completely defeating the purpose. And then like the following week when we went to get our food again, like, oh, can we have those brand muffins again? <laughs> so ridiculous. So yeah, if any of you are Jenny Craig people, avoid <laughs> avoid the brand muffins. So point being that my whole life, I tried all this crazy stuff and whatever, but I never really had that mental moment where I was doing it because I wanted to do it. I didn't have that moment where I flipped the switch mentally and went, this is my new normal now. This is This is what I want to do. And I honestly think that the secret to my maintaining my weight all this time, this time around has been because I attached the desire to do it to a whole bunch of things that are really important to me. And I flipped that switch in my brain from I should do it because a miracle is going to happen afterwards to I should do it because I really want to now. And so I think a lot of those crazy schemes that I was trying was in part to please my parents, in part to keep my sister company when she was doing her ones, in part that I had in my head, that thing that I mentioned before of like, if I do this, then that will happen, right? And for me, the switch got flipped when my dad passed away. And like I said, it was the last thing he asked me to do. I didn't do it because of that. Although I think at the start, maybe that was part of it. I was like, dad asked me to do this. It was his dying wish. Oh my God, dying wish. Oh, big emotional moment, right? But it was actually more about the fact that when he passed away, I had this awful realization that if I just kept going on the path I was going, then I was going to do that same thing to my kids. And I didn't want to do that to my kids. I was so devastated when my dad passed away, so heartbroken, and it happened so suddenly. And no, he didn't die because he was overweight, but I think probably eventually he would have. He was an amazing guy, my dad, but also very irresponsible <laughs> when it came to his his general health and stuff. Like he used to go to, the, no, not a joke, he used to go to the doctor and get like medications and then just put it on the shelf and not take it. And when we'd be like, dad, why aren't you taking your medication? He'd be like, ah, it's good enough that it's sitting on the shelf. I don't know if he thought it was going to happen via osmosis or what the deal was, but anyway. After my dad died, I had this realization like I am in my 30s and my dad's just died and I feel like my whole world has kind of crumbled. And I could not imagine doing that to my children. I just could not imagine doing that same thing to my children. And I thought, well, I don't have to. Maybe it's preventable, you know? And so for me, the flip got switched when I made that decision of this isn't about losing weight to be more beautiful. This isn't about losing weight because I think society needs me to be skinnier. This isn't about losing weight for some sort of external magic reason. This is about losing weight because I have a responsibility to my kids to mother them for as long as I possibly can mother them. And in order to best meet that responsibility, I need to be a healthier person.
So I did what my dad asked and I flipped that switch, but it wasn't because he asked. I flipped that switch because in my head, I thought I can't do the same thing he did to me, to my kids. And so I set about losing weight and kind of related to that, flipping that switch was I got home to Australia. Uh, I was in America for a month after my dad died. I was there helping my mom organize the paperwork. Incidentally, when people die, there's a ridiculous amount of paperwork. I was there for a month and I came home and I was very, very, very heartbroken. It was the worst feeling in the world. If any of you have ever lost a loved one, then you know that you walk around the world feeling like you are some sort of bizarre android and all the other humans around you haven't noticed that the world has changed for good. And it's the most awful feeling in the world. And for me in particular, it was very challenging because I came home to Australia and a little bit like coming home from vacation, there was still laundry to do and children to feed. And my whole life appeared as though it was normal. But to me, there was this giant gaping hole in the middle of it. You know, this like dad shaped hole in the middle of my life. And I was very depressed and I was very upset. And I told you, remember that for me, food and emotion are linked. And I could see that Although I had flipped the switch in my head, I needed to do something about my, my mental health around that time. So I joined a gym. I actually joined a circuit gym, which I wish they still had those because I was there for a long time. I don't really like exercise. These days I do, but then I didn't. And so I was like, wow, workout in 30 minutes? I'm in, man. So I joined a circuit gym, which a friend of mine recommended, and I did not join it because I wanted to lose weight. I joined it because I wanted to fix my mental health. I wanted to feel better about the fact that I'd lost my dad. I wanted to feel less depressed about it. And again, the mental switch in my head that had flipped was about, I need to be a better mom for my kids. I need to live as long as I possibly can. And in order to do that, my cardiovascular health has to be better. So I, in the, in those months, I did not care what the scale said. I did not care about anything. I cared about living for my kids and living for my kids that uh, flip in my brain was all about this. I'm not going to do to my kids what my dad did to me. And so I went to the gym not to lose weight, but to improve my mental health. I would still say very much that that's true today. Those of you who have ever heard me talk about exercise and stuff know that I currently exercise. I try to do it seven days a week, I usually manage about five. Um, either walking or I go to the gym or whatever, but I try to lead, lead a fairly active life. And I do that again because I do it for my mental health, not my, not just my physical health. To be honest, the fact that I'm fitter now is a bonus and I'm really happy about that. But I go out and I walk and I exercise and I gym for my mental health. And a couple of months ago, I kind of fell off the exercise wagon a little bit and I could really feel it. I could really feel it emotionally. I was a lot more anxious. I was a lot more irritable. I just was not very calm. And you can imagine someone like me who does have a lot going on at one time. Like I am, you know, on natural speed. I'm like constantly going at a thousand miles an hour. And I really felt like without the exercise, I never had, my brain never had that time to just be quiet and just slow down and really have that time to mentally recharge. So I think it's really important that we recognize that when it comes to weight loss or really any big change in our lives, no amount of other people telling us to do it is going to work. And I wanted to relate this back to business in that Many is the time I've spoken to somebody who says to me, I'm running this business and it's going okay, whatever, and they have issues. And I say, well, why did you get into business? Like, what what made you do it? And literally, I think 99% of the time, people tell me that it's because they made something and it was beautiful and they loved it and their friends loved it. And that some friend or family member said to them, you know, that old thing of, you know, you should so sell those, you'd make a fortune. And this person got into business, not because they wanted to, not because they flipped the switch, but because someone else told them to do it. 
That's not always a bad thing to be motivated by others. But when it comes to business, until the switch has flipped in your brain from I'm just doing this because everybody told me it's a good idea to I'm doing this because I am an entrepreneur. I am a business owner. I want to do this. This is my business and I'm actually married to the business from a wanting to do it point of view. I don't actually think you'll succeed. I honestly don't. And I think we get frustrated by the cheap cake lady so much. I think the cheap cake lady is somebody whose flip has not yet switched. I also think that we meet so, and we get so frustrated, right? By so many hobbyists out there who are like, I'm not in business. I'm not really selling anything, blah, blah. You know, they do this whole thing. And yet they have Facebook pages and business cards and whatever. And in their head and even out loud, they'll say, I'm just a hobbyist. You know, I just do it for ingredients or whatever. To me, that's always a sign of somebody for whom the flip has just not switched over. So I think that you need to make that decision in your head about the big change you're going to make in your life, whether that be weight or whatever. And I think you also need to make that big decision in your head about being a business owner and not just a cake maker or not just a hobbyist. kind of lost count now, but I think it's probably the fourth thing I wanted to say about the connection between weight and weight loss and businesses that the beginning part is easy. Like the beginning part is honestly, it's a little stressful, but it's super fun. So let's think about when you start a business, right? You're like picking a name. And I know for a lot of us that frustrated us in the beginning, but you're picking a name and you're like ordering business cards and you're like getting, you know, new mixers and you're maybe you're doing some ads and you've got like your first client. You're like, oh my God, first client. And you, you know, you get money and then you open a business bank account and you do like all this super fun stuff at the beginning, right? And it's exciting. And it's exhilarating and it's okay, a little bit terrifying, but it is the most amazing feeling. I have to say when I got my first business card, I'm pretty sure I did a happy dance, like an actual happy dance. It is just the most fun. That beginning bit is like super fun. Now the same is true when you decide that you are going to get fitter or slimmer or whatever it is, right? You're like joining the gym. You've got like the fancy gym card and like the little beep card or whatever. It's all like nice and shiny. The plastic hasn't worn off yet. You buy the new running shoes. You acquire, you know, you download 10,000 podcasts or whatever. So you have something to listen to as you run or walk in my case. You buy the funky new water bottle and the cute towel and the whatever. Like the beginning part is fun. And the beginning part of business is fun after that stuff too. Like you start to get your first orders and then like somebody asks you for something bigger and then maybe you get approached by a charity to do something for free. And like in the beginning, you get some really quick wins, which are exciting and fun. and like, oh my God, I still got this. Same is true for weight loss, right? You know, that first week of any new program, you lose like an ocean load of weight and it's because suddenly you are not eating cookies at night and you're actually paying attention and drinking water or whatever it is you're doing. So the first few months of a business and the first few months of any uh, fitness or weight loss goal, you're doing great. You're like, I am a complete rock star. Check me out. This is awesome. And you're doing brilliantly. But after a while, maybe things don't go so well. Maybe a customer complains. Maybe a cake gets dropped or ruined. Maybe, you know, you run out of money and you need money or something. And from a weight and fitness point of view, maybe you pull a muscle. Maybe it rains and you just don't want to walk that day because it's raining. Maybe you're anything, all kinds of things happen. You, you, you know, you get plantar fasciitis in your feet or you, whatever, you hit some kind of plateau. You know, maybe you go on vacation and I don't know anybody who eats well on vacation. I'm sure there are people out there like this. I feel like they're mythical unicorns because when I go on vacation, I completely lose all sense of control. You know, you go on vacation or it's Christmas or something and like something happens to kind of derail your plan. 
suddenly it's not so fun anymore. You know, you have a couple of weeks to go by without orders, whatever. And it's really, really hard to keep the motivation going. And what I've learned about a business, running a business and about losing weight is that actually setting it up and doing the big thing is really easy, but maintaining it is way, way harder. I found this with the blog too, not just the cake business, right? I was writing a blog every Tuesday, no matter what. Yeah, 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 yeah. Literally for like years. And then I missed a Tuesday and I felt horrible about it, but nobody noticed. That's the best part. Nobody noticed. And I was like, oh, nobody commented. There's no blog post. I even, I even embarrassingly created a meme, which was like this kid looking kind of incredulous saying something like no blog post this week. What's wrong with you, Michelle? Or whatever. And I like wrote a whole Facebook post going, I'm so sorry. There was no blog post this week with all the stupid excuses. And then, you know what? It became easier and easier to skip. And these days, I still try to blog pretty much every week. You'll usually find a new article on a Tuesday morning, but I miss a couple of weeks now and again because I'm human. But honestly, writing articles got, for me, not now, but, uh, you know, about a year ago, got to the stage. I was like, this is just like too much like hard work. This is not fun anymore. And I think in business that happens too, because you're like, this is not fun anymore. This is just orders in, orders out, orders in, orders out. And after a while, to be honest, cake is just cake. Sure, one has Elmo and one has like wafer paper flowers and one has whatever, but nothing changes the fact that a cake is a cake is a cake. And the process of speaking to a customer, giving them a quote, then they accept the quote, then you do the order, then they pay you or you know whatever your process is, that process doesn't change. The creative details change, but the fact is it's still cake or macarons or cake pops or whatever your thing is week in and week out. And the same is true for fitness and weight loss. You know, you can't just go, yeah, I'm not going to go to the gym now and I'm just going to eat a bunch of crap and it's going to be totally cool. doesn't work that way. I guess my lesson to you here, if there is one, is just to recognize that the hard part of business feels like the setting up and the hard part of weight loss or fitness feels like the setting up. I think the hard part is in keeping going. And so if you're listening to this and you've been going for a while on any endeavor, I actually think you need to stop and applaud that because it's the people who show up day after day, week after week and continue to strive and continue to make things happen and just keep trying. Like I told you guys at the beginning of this podcast, those are the people who are going to succeed. Those are the people who in the long term of their lives will succeed. We've all heard those weight loss things where people are like, it's not a diet, it's a lifestyle choice. And I used to hear that and laugh. No joke, I used to hear that and laugh. I'd be like, oh, you're so full of it. That's ridiculous. But now that I'm on the other side of that, I can tell you that the daily effort is still there. It, and it is daily effort. And sometimes I fail and sometimes I succeed, but it's daily effort every single day to choose to go to the gym, to choose to go for that walk, to choose to say no to the whatever it is that's enticing me from its package. <laughs> the Oreo is being like, Michelle, you me, you know, or whatever. So I think when we start a business, it's fun. And it remains fun. Parts of it remain fun. And I still enjoy exercise and whatever, but the maintenance is where the hard work really begins. And I think we forget that. The last thing I wanted to talk about, um, weight and business together. See, there's actually, like, I actually think I could probably do, like, several podcasts about this topic. I'm just trying to distill it to the things that, the lessons and the things I've learned that are most important. And this one, I've saved this for last because this one is probably the one that is the most important to me, but I valued it the, at the beginning, certainly, I valued it the least. And I don't anymore. And so this one, if you, if you've been, if you've been kind of like falling asleep listening to the rest of this, now I want you to super pay attention. So wake up out there in, in podcast land. 
So I want to talk about something called NSVs or non-scale victories. So if you've been in the weight loss game for a while, you know that people talk about this all the time. So a non-scale victory is something that you are really proud of or that you managed to do, which has nothing to do with the numbers on the scale. Nothing at all. It's a non-scale victory. So that might be like, I ran a mile and I didn't feel like I was going to die afterwards. That might be that my gold jeans finally fit me really well. That might be I went to a restaurant, I had a beautiful meal, I didn't feel deprived, it was great, I loved what I ate. It honestly could be any number of things. It could be I went to the park today and I ran around with my kids and I had a great time and physically felt really, really fit. It could be I climbed a mountain. It could be I went into a normal size clothing store today and I bought something. It it could be non-scale victory is any of a gajillion things which just are unrelated to the scale. And I wanted to share with you guys my one. Now I've had lots of non-scale victories over the years and I try really hard to remember those and value those. It's hard. It's really hard because we focus on the number on the scale. And this week, yesterday, in fact, I went to the doctor and there was a number on the scale I was not happy with. And I'm ashamed to say I actually had a massive tantrum in the doctor's office. Enough that at the end of it, I was, I can't even believe I'm admitting this, but anyway, I was standing at the reception desk and I had to book another appointment and he walked out and he's like, Michelle, by the way, you owe me 15 bucks. Okay. Why do I, and I was like laughing and I'm like, why do I owe you 15 bucks? And he's like, cause that's at least as much as you've got to put in the swear jar after your little tantrum there. So embarrassing. I'm an adult woman who had a complete tantrum in a doctor's office because I didn't like the number on the scale and I should know better. And luckily he's a really nice guy and he took it all on his stride and he gently told me off, actually not so gently told me off from me being ridiculous. So the point being that the numbers on the scale is just one metric by which we measure things. And I think that honestly, we have a society which really honors that metric and it's all about the numbers all the time, but that's rubbish. And I think non-scale victories are more important than we think they are. So as I was saying, I want to share with you my one non-scale victory, which, oh gosh, just thinking about it kind of makes me want to cry. So I love to travel. I love seeing the world. And one of the great joys of my business as it is now is that I get to travel the world and teach. And by the way, for any of you who who want to meet me in person, this year I'll be traveling in Australia and the United States and in Europe and the UK. And you can go to bizbakeontour.com, B-I-Z bakeontour.com to come and hang out with me. So I love to travel and it's really important to me. And I always wanted a job where I could travel. When I was at my heaviest, I hated travel because I hated airline seats. Now, firstly, I hate airline seats in general because they're not designed for people who are six feet tall, but I hated airline seats because I didn't fit in them. I just did not fit in them. And I had so many horrible, humiliating moments in airplane seats. I, more than I can, you know, I probably blocked out half of them from my brain. So I've had experiences where I, the seatbelt didn't fit and I didn't want to ask for a seatbelt extender because I was humiliated. So I tucked the seatbelt like under my belly so that it looked as though the seatbelt was done up, even though it wasn't done up. And I've had experiences where I didn't eat the whole flight or I pretended that I wasn't hungry the whole flight because I could not bring the tray table down in front of me without spilling over onto it. In fact, I just couldn't bring it down at all, really, to put a tray onto. I've had experiences where just just all kinds of humiliating and awful experiences. Notably, there's one where my husband and I went on our honeymoon and we were flying Air France and we're going somewhere in Europe, whatever. And he he's also really tall. I think David's like 6'1 or 6'2. And he wanted to sit in the exit row, which is like the front row, you know, by the door there. Now, the thing about the exit row is because there's no seat in front of you, the 
tray table and like the remote control and all that stuff is in the side thing. And so the side thing is solid. It's not, you know, in a normal armrest in an airplane, it's like the stick and then there's airspace, right? Between you and the next person's hip or whatever. But on in an exit row, it's solid because they've got to fit the screen in there and stuff. And usually it's also a little bit thicker than it is a normal um, armrest or whatever. So he insisted on sitting there and I didn't want to sit there, but he insisted and we did. And I, I literally had to wedge myself into that seat and the pressure on my hips was uh, literally on my hip bones was absolutely horrible pain. In fact, if I, if I close my eyes now, I can actually remember it. It was awfully, awfully, awfully painful. And it just, I felt like I was stuck in a vice grip. It was just horrible. I was wedged in there. It was extremely painful and I was spilling over the top and it was just awful. So as soon as they uh, clicked off the seatbelt sign, I got up and I sat, uh, I like wandered around the plane for a bit or whatever. And then I ended up going, oh, I have to sit down. I can't walk forever. So I ended up sitting like in the stewardess's jump seat or whatever at the back of the plane, because obviously there's like no seatbelts there or whatever. I was in like no armrests or whatever there. So I sat at the back of the plane and she came by and she was like, you know, ma'am, you can't sit here. And I'm like, oh yes, of course. Sorry. I was just a bit tired from walking. So I moved around or whatever. And like, I went to another jump seat on the other side of the plane. And basically after I think like three times, she was like, you really need to return to your seat, ma'am. And I just remember thinking like, what am I going to do? Can I hide in the bathroom? Can I like, how am I going to get around this? But there really was no way around it. I mean, eventually that flight was going to come down, right? So I had to go back into that seat and wedge myself in again and be in an extraordinary amount of pain again and be horribly humiliated again at how much I didn't fit there. And I was physically just in a lot of pain and I was miserable. Again, I couldn't eat because I couldn't bring the tray up because those trays come up and then like across your lap and I couldn't do that either. And it was just one of the most humiliating and awful experiences in my life. And I subsequently had lots of those experiences. So for me, one of my non-scale victories these days is that I very easily fit into airline seats. Not only do I fit into airline seats, but the seatbelt will clip shut and I can actually pull the, the strap and make it tighter and I can breathe and I can exist and I can bring the tray table down and travel has become so much easier for me from from that point of view just fitting in an airplane and particularly when i travel in the u.s some of those airplanes are really tiny (laughs) not so much long-haul flights it's not so bad but internet but uh sorry but domestic flights in the u.s is particularly bad but i fit in those i fit in those airplane seats every single time i get into a flight which given what i do for a living now is actually quite often i have this moment where i go oh my god i fit and i have burst into tears on many flights as a result because I just go, oh my God, the seatbelt fits. I fit into the seat. My husband, David, and several of my friends would know that I text them and I go, oh my God, the seatbelt fits. And it's like I'm shocked anew every single time that the seatbelt fits and the seat fits and that I'm not spilling over onto the sides. Now, I'm still not, I'm not a small person yet, but the point is I'm small enough to fit into those chairs relatively comfortably. Just like everybody else in the world, I prefer there's nobody sitting next to me, but generally speaking, I fit in and I fit relatively comfortably. And so for me, that's a huge non-scale victory. You know, in your business, you're going to have lots of non-scale victories, but in this case, it's like non-money victories. And I am the first person to tell you that if you are in business, you need to be making money. That is the whole point of the thing to begin with, that if you're not in it to make money, if money is not at least one of your many motivating factors, then there's no point in doing it. And that a business has to make money in order to be a viable business. I will be the first one to tell you this. However, I am also the first one to tell you that it's not 
just about money. Money is one of many, many, many aspects. And we need to look at our business and think about our non, our, maybe it's our NMVs, our non-money victories. And that can be so many things. That can be, I totally got to make this cake that I wanted. That can be somebody I admire said that they admire me. Maybe that's, I've actually built a business where I can pick my kids up at the bus every day. Maybe that's, I got to travel for work and I got to go to a cake show. Maybe that's I won first place or I got an honorable mention or whatever it is at a cake competition. Maybe that's this customer that I love. Not only did I get to make her wedding cake, but she also came back to me for her child's christening cake. Our businesses are filled with thousands of non-monetary victories, literally thousands of them. But we get so focused on the number in the bank account. And we get so focused on the number on the scale that we forget to just stop and appreciate and and sit in wonder for a minute at those non-scale or non-monetary victories. And I really want to encourage you to be aware of the bottom line, of course, be aware of the numbers on the scale, of course, but please search out and celebrate the non-scale or the non-monetary victories because those are the things that will keep you going late at night when you're tired. Those are the things that will keep you going when you just cannot run another few steps. Those are the things which in the long run, when you look over the course of your business or the course of your weight or health experience, those are the things which will matter more to you than anything else. I cannot tell you how it is now, yeah, five years, I think, since I've maintained my weight loss and I still get on every single plane many times a year. Last year, I think I took something like 21 flights or something. And every single time I'm astounded and I feel such a great feeling of joy that I can do that seat belt up and that I fit in that seat. And it doesn't bother me, by the way, to sit in the middle seat either. I don't like it like anybody else. I prefer the window, but I can sit in that middle seat and I'm not bothered by it in the slightest. I just want to remind you to look for those non-scale victories or those non-monetary victories in your business or in your, or in your life. I think that they're really important. And I went to a bat mitzvah recently where the mom was giving a speech about her daughter and how much she loved her and whatever. And she told a story, which I think beautifully tells the story of a non-scale victory in your life. So she tells a story about how when her daughter was small, had she just been born, they needed money and she was going to kind of going crazy and living in the house and whatever. But the kid was tiny, right? And here in Australia, childcare is exceptionally expensive. Anyway, she got a job delivering flyers. And I know we all hate junk mail, but she got a job pushing, you know, like takeaway menus or like menus and flyers and stuff in mailboxes. And so every day she used to get up and she'd have this big pile of brochures and menus and stuff. And she put the baby in the stroller and she would walk and deliver these junk mail. I feel bad calling it junk mail, but that's what it is. So she delivered pamphlets and stuff. Anyway, so she said in her speech, she said, you know, at the time, it honestly, the money was ridiculous. She goes, the money just was stupid. I was making nearly nothing. And she said, but what I got out of that experience was I got fitter than I've ever been in my life. Cause obviously she's walking, walking a million miles, you know, obviously putting in all these brochures. And she says, and I got something that I couldn't put a price on, which is I got time bonding with my baby hours a day where I was spending time with my daughter and I was working. So she was able to contribute to her family bottom line or family finances, but she was also getting to be a full-time mom, which is what she really wanted to do. 
And she said in her speech that now she looks back at that time and she kind of laughs about how little the money was, but she will never forget the fact that she was out in the sunshine, getting fit, getting fresh air. Her baby was out in the sunshine, getting fresh air, enjoying the world, but they were doing it together. And she says, it's bonding time that I had with my child that if I'd gone and had a normal job, I never would have gotten. And I loved hearing that story because I was like, in fact, that story actually is what inspired this entire podcast because I was thinking about how that was a non-scale victory and how I wanted to talk about non-scale victories. So it was just such a beautiful story that, you know, if she was looking at just the money, I think she'd go like, well, what is the point of this walking, you know, five hours a day or whatever it is? But she didn't. The, the non-monetary victory for her was she got fit. Yep, that was great. But it was also that she got that bonding time with her daughter. And I thought it was such a beautiful story. So next time you have something in life that is taking a lot of effort and a lot of time and maybe a lot of money and maybe a lot of blood, sweat and tears and stress, maybe just stop for a minute and ask yourself, what's the non-scale victory in this? What's the non-monetary victory in this? What am I getting out of this other than that bottom line or that number on the scale or that number in the bank balance? I think it's really important that we do that. So truthfully, I could go on and talk about weight and business and how we feel about ourselves and how the two are linked forever, not only for this episode, but I think 10,000 other episodes. But those lessons that I taught you today or the things I shared with you today are really the ones that I find the most important. And I thank you so much for listening to the podcast. I'm having a great time sharing my my personal stories and a little bit more about my life philosophy, not just about baking. Although I, I do love that I think business and life when it's a small business, they're never truly separate. Kind of the lines blur so much. And I'm all about boundaries, as we all know, but I think it's kind of beautiful when those two things, we can take lessons from one aspect of our lives and apply them to another. So thanks for listening with me today. As usual, if you want to comment on on this podcast or if you want to suggest a topic or you just want to say, hey, Michelle, I like that one. You are more than welcome to. You can come to the blog and leave a comment. You're also welcome to send me an email, michelle at thebizofbaking.com. It's the B-I-Z of baking.com. I'm always, always, always happy to hear from you guys. Please subscribe to the podcast. It's the best way to support me is to subscribe in iTunes or in Stitcher and wherever it is you use, hit the subscribe button. And that way you'll always be notified when new episodes come up. And please tell your friends so that more people are listening to me tell my crazy stories about things like airplane seatbelts and how that relates to your business. Have an amazing week. Thanks for listening to the Business of Baking podcast. You can find show notes, links, and other fun stuff for this and previous episodes at thebizofbaking.com. Until next time, may your oven stay evenly hot, your ganache never split, and may you always be in the business of being awesome.